Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. We're glad to have you today. We're in session four of how do the gifts of the Spirit produce an advantage or understanding the advantage of the Holy Spirit. We want to welcome you from around the country and around the world as we study the Word of God. I pray that God's Word will minister to you in a great way. Want to welcome your contact at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministry.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Uh, again, we want to remind you of our book, I Surrender, by Mike Springston in, on Amazon or in your lo- local bookstore. Today we pick up with session four, how do the gifts of the Spirit produce an advantage or understanding the advantage of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for the word of truth. I pray that you'll open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us and then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear son. Jesus, please speak to us. Reveal to us through the Holy Spirit what we need to know, understand, do, and demonstrate. From there, Father, we will receive it and release it to your people. And from that, your people will be corrected. They will be blessed. They will be led, guided, and directed by the words that the Holy Spirit speaks directly from you. We give you praise and honor and glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Now wait, you would say, there is still the scripture. Yep. Did you see from what angle the scripture is revealed? This is very important. You guessed it. The scripture is revealed through the spirit. Once again, we read with no revelation. Listen to what he said. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. We read with no spiritual understanding. We leave Jesus in the story instead of being able to place him in you and operating directly to you. How would you do that? Well, you must do it in the Spirit. I've had people say that were dear friends of mine. How do you do it? Naturally, I respond, how do I do what? How do you preach and teach continuously? I don't see all of that in the Word of God. How are you able to get so much out of the Bible? How do you see those things? I don't hear that from other preachers or teachers then I rarely hear you make reference to any the use of any commentaries. They would say, when I'm prepared to teach and preach, I spend a great amount of time just studying and praying and reading to find a thought. Then I try to support that thought by commentaries. But Pastor Mike, you never seem to do that. When I try to do what you do, (laughs) it is so painful and lengthy. So how in the world, Pastor Mike, do you prepare and work so easily? Well, the answer is simple. It's all done by the Holy Spirit. 
He reveals Jesus to me. He reveals the words of Jesus in Revelation concerning his ways and his acts. He reveals what he wants done, said, and ministered. All I have to do is listen and write and then speak. Put a big period there with an exclamation point because that's all that's done. It is him habitating, living, dwelling, and residing in me, my ear being tuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit coming out of me, and then the Holy Spirit speaking to me so that he can minister the word of Jesus through me. It's very simple. If you don't live in this advantage ministry, then ministry can become very laborious. Actually, it'll wear you out. It will uh, become almost as if there has been a weight placed upon your shoulder. What happens? Well, things that are happening today. Pastor, preacher, and teacher burnout. Why? Because they're getting no direction from the Holy Spirit, no revelation. No communication with the Father or the Son. Therefore, all that can be concluded is that there exists one who rejects the things of which the scripture has declared is the means to be complete, prepared for ministry. When you put your intellect into trying to fight the devil, my friend, it's going to be such a weight upon you that you will crumble and stumble under that weight. I call this simply the advantage. I have them working in me, through and upon me, and I live in that advantage daily and moment by moment. Every believer was designed to have that advantage, to not only live in them, but be alive in them. Now consider this before I move on. Paul in Ephesians 6 has designed a protective armor that's meant to make the believer both guarded and defended while also being able to operate on the offensive. When we consider this, the Spirit, what was his operation in the order of Paul's articles of armor? He is always offensive in nature. The word of revelation is a tool used for the offensive advancement. When we look at prayer, it's a tool for offensive advancement. It advances the cause of being preserved and having full disclosure of the needs for all the saints. Now there is a place where the soul elevates into a deeper level of spiritual activity. Here, the one who enters will find the advantage of the voice of Jesus Christ produced for him by the Holy Spirit. It is the deeper level that man locates and when he locates that, he finds the advantage that was used by Jesus Christ himself to navigate the hard places of which he found himself. We have the availability to live in the exact nature of intelligence that we see exposed in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. To this we must say, Amen. And show me where it is. The answer to the advantage that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 is found in the very beginning of the Gospels. Look at Matthew and you're going to see it. 
Matthew 3, 16, 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting upon him, and a lower voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I told you yesterday, follow the pattern of love. The advantage is seen and identified. The Spirit of God came like a dove and lighted upon him. Where did it come from? It came from heaven. Why is that important? Because it was the third person of the Trinity being placed upon him. He had a heavenly position or he would not have come from there. He had a heavenly role and an office or the heavens would not have had to open for him to descend. Why? The third person of the Trinity being placed upon him was brought about the heavenly role and the office of the heavens would not have had to open for him to descend. He was the spirit of the living God that made up the third person. He had worked with the Son in creation. He had completed the works and thoughts of the Son with precision concerning the creation of all that was cited as being completed during the six days. Now he lights upon him. Here we see the addition of the advantage into the life of the ministry of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God was on hand to comfort help, and complete the words of Jesus Christ. This is an advantage that will allow him to minister to those in whom he encounters during his ministry. When we move into chapter 4, we see that same spirit taking Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. He's removed from him during this interaction. Jesus faces the devil in himself so that when he was asked concerning that fact of his being the Son of God, Jesus could answer him from the perspective of man by saying, man shall not. In temptation 2, he quotes the scripture in response to the devil as he states what any Jew would know. You don't tempt the Lord. In temptation 3, he answers from the perspective of worship. Any Jew would know that there was only one God to worship. Any Jew would know that there is also an enemy. However, there is one instance where his knowledge of the situation repelled the devil. It confused him and repelled him. When he turned to him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. These words repelled and confused Satan because they were pointed and they were powerful. They did not cast him out because that would have revealed who he was. But they did place him in a subservient position. Afterwards, angels came and ministered to him and Jesus left Nazareth. In verse 16, we see the reference to the great light being given to those who sat in darkness. So there could be no doubt that the Holy Spirit was come to help, comfort, and bring radiance to Jesus. He began to preach the gospel of repentance. Now from here he begins to assemble his staff. This is a coordinated effort in the Spirit. Immediately the advantage materializes. 
He begins to preach the gospel of good news concerning the kingdom. Healings of all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people are manifested. How did he do it? He did it through the office of the Holy Spirit. He was connected to him for these creative purposes. Luke describes Jesus returning to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. It was the power of the Spirit that spawned his fame. He was full of the advantage over the demonic attacks of the devil. He had in him the one who would comfort and help at his command. When sickness appeared in front of Jesus, he would speak, and the Holy Spirit would create the outcome from the word spoken. He would see many and varied kinds of human suffering, and he would place it all into the same spiritual condition. They were poor, bruised, broken, blind, and held captive. To each of these, he would release the Holy Spirit. To each of these, the Holy Spirit would create in them the freedom and liberty that his word commanded. What a dynamic position from which to meet the degradation and depravity of sin. It would bow, sin would bow to his words. Those to whom he spoke were miraculously made to be something of which they were not, and they weren't what he spoke them into being just moments earlier. This is the advantage that was added to Jesus when he was lit upon by the presence of the heavenly entity that was described as a dove. So in each encounter as Jesus spoke a word, a picture was formed in the mind of the Holy Spirit. He would speak to eyes and they would see. The Holy Spirit would take those words and rearrange the vision of the blind. He would speak to the lame the Holy Spirit would execute the precision into the body part and the life that was directed and met the need. This could be said concerning each and every sign, wonder, and miracle or good deed that Jesus completed. My friend, he simply had the advantage upon him. He had the one who could, who could clearly see and understand the instructions the one who could transact the work in the places, that the one in need could not even see the possibility. But the Holy Spirit could go. Jesus said, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Further, the Holy Spirit had the inroads into the heart, soul, and body of those who were in need. He could not be stopped by the demonic because he was part of the Godhead that cast him out of heaven. Satan had attempted to deal with Jesus and he failed. Now Satan would have to overcome the Spirit of God that resided upon Jesus. That was much deeper. And it was an impossible act, particularly after the cross. Let me stop here now and share something that the Holy Spirit shared with me this morning. When we look into John 14, we find Jesus making a most informative statement. Listen to what he says. John 14, 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, either believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. 
Now, we focus most of our attention today on verse 12, but I want you to take a close look at verse 11. I believe it will will reveal why our world has gone off the rails. I also believe what is revealed will show that the church is definitely the root cause for our decline in morality, values, and spiritual integrity. Believe me, Jesus said, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Here resides the information that the Father lived in the Son. He was habitated in him. He had a habitat in him. So all that he was inwardly was defined by the Father in him. All that he did outwardly was also defined by the Father in him. Due to the habitation of the Father, Jesus did works. Those works were phenomenal. None of us can ever deny that. His ministry, as we look at it through the natural intellect, we would say it has no equal. Well, that's not really true. Look at what he said. Believe me, for the work's sake, if you can't conceive of the message of the Father in me, then look at the works that I am showing you. If you do, you will listen to what you have said concerning me. Now you said, is this not the carpenter's son? You would identify that from the seed of the carpenter. That carpenter would go about repairing and building of things that would meet your need in the natural. And you would expect him to build such things as houses, repair fences, or redesign your living space. And that, not only would you compliment, but you would believe because you could see. Now here is where the message of our day ends. It ends with what Jesus did. Why? Because we decided that works were unnecessary. We decided that the works that exposed and expressed Jesus were not for our day. We decided that demonstration of the Holy Spirit had no place in our modern day message. Well, people would get carried away. They would jump and they would shout and they would run and they would do all kinds of things that would feel as if they degraded the place of worship. Well... In the ministry of Jesus, they went, they told, they ran, they leapt. In the ministry of Peter and John, they leapt with soundness, created a word of joy. What's so bad about that if the work is done in the Spirit? But in our message today, we would choose to go in and make our message all about love. It would all be to appeal to our intellect. Is that how the Father did it? Well, if you've read the Word of God, do you know the answer to that is absolutely not. The Father made habitation in the Son. Just as Paul said that Jesus would make habitation in you. The Father did works through the Son, just as Jesus said he would do from you. The Father ministered through Jesus, and Jesus ministered to the world. You see, we have short-circuited that operation. We have no works, so we're losing the world. Greater yet, 
We're losing our own families. Even deeper, we've lost, in general, the power of the church. Now we wonder why they don't come or why they aren't coming back or why people can't see that they need Jesus and why anyone would not want to be saved whenever we look in the time and the hour in which we live. Well, the reason is clear. They see no works that represent the power of God resonating from the church. They see no reflection of the sun in the worship or the praise. They see no ministry to the people that makes and sets, or makes rather, the captive free. They see no one being set in their right mind. My friends, we've legislated and orchestrated the very things that Jesus did in his ministry out of the church, of which he is still the head. So the orchestration of the advantage is still available. Since there are no works of the Spirit and no demonstration of His indwelling presence, we have nothing going on that draws those in needs. We have nothing but a message of love. Uh-huh. Now in the world, let's, let's look at that. They have the same message. If you listen to the older music, it's all about love. If you listen to the message of the music of day, today, it's all about sexual love. That message extends now into the rap music of controlling love. You see, the message of love is so perverted that the listeners are confused. Why is love? What is love? Is it being a man and a woman or a woman and a woman? Is it being a man and a woman or a man and a man? Is it between a man and a woman or is it toward an animal, a tree, a car, or a hamburger? Confusion abounds in the only message the Christian church has that they think is worthy of sharing. They say he loves you. He will make your life great. I heard a woman today talking on the radio and they said, if you could say anything to someone about accepting Christ, what would you say? She said, he loves you. He'll make your life great. Well, that's a very shallow message in my opinion. Then her boyfriend turns to her and says, Oh, I love you. He makes her feel great from a sexual perspective. He gives her things that satisfy her needs. Why, he gives her a place to live and food, often drugs and alcohol, things that satisfy her needs. Then he turns around in love and beats her just to show how much he can demonstrate his love. Upon top of that, he curses her to make sure that she understands her position in this love relationship. This also is love, my friend, and it's love in the day of darkness. What the church requires is the method of operation that Jesus used to show the world the Father. We ought to be the ones to show the world Jesus. He will not do that through conversation. He will not do that through just taking someone one-on-one -on -one and for years showing them Christ. Paul lived in the height of the movement. Now watch this now. He lived in the height of the movement of the church where the Holy Spirit was doing its dynamic work. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4-6. 
and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught. He came preaching and teaching the advantage. The Spirit operated through him from Jesus Christ. He ministered to them from that Spirit, and their faith exploded from seeing the power of God. Notice, Paul did not attempt to preach an intellectual gospel. He considered that method to be the means of the wisdom of the world. Now what happens to it? It comes to nothing. Well, there you have it, my friend. Revealed by Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. Why are they leaving the church? Why are families being led astray? Why are marriages failing? Why is addiction overrunning our society? Why is mental illness loose and bringing people into bondage? Why are we seeking external riches? Why is there such depth of division? Why are we seemingly living under a cloud of influence that seems to keep us from ever really finding the place of success? Well, we could go on and on and on. And sooner or later, we're going to come to your personal situation. Let's see if we see an answer in what Paul has said. Oh, yes, we do. It comes to naught. Worldly wisdom and worldly thinking comes to naught. So even if you attend those places we call churches that are really monuments to the dead, those churches that teach and preach from the intellect and are brought to naught, why are they brought to naught, you would ask? Because there is no habitation. There is no Christ in you to produce the work of the Holy Spirit. Dead in spiritual terms. But you say, Pastor, now I believed and prayed. And you may very well have done that then. But what have you done since? Have you fed and cultivated the habitation of Christ in you? Have you gone into the world of the Spirit and fostered His work to you so that it can flow through you? Have you yielded yourself and your tongue to the Spirit so that what is in you can come out of you? Have you worked with the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that you are able to ask or think? Have you established the relationship of the power that works in you so that he can establish himself through your tongue into the outer world? I would venture to say when I look at my world, the answer to that is no. Because you've not been taught the ways of Jesus Christ. You've only been told of the stories of his acts. So Jesus said, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, either believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. 
Here is the way of Jesus described in depth. The result is also described. Then, with that as the foundation, Jesus says to the apostles and the disciples, the people in the church, if you believe on me, what does that mean? If you believe that I am in you and you are in me, this is crucial because it defines the place from where the advantage will take shape. Most people do not live life with the emphasis of God and his Christ dwelling in you in a habitation and Christ being in you becoming the hope of glory. We never think about that. We don't go there. We don't live there. Therefore, we're not believing. Even the belief of the works that Jesus has done. Now, when you have belief in the operation, then you will do the works that Jesus did. It's quite clear how the advantage is set up. Believe that I am in you, and when you do, I will operate out of you. When you come to the realization that he is in you, and the Holy Spirit is operating out of you. When you come in to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will find the advantage of Christ in you. Believe that I am in you. The outworking will be defined as the works that I do. Notice the very present tense of the conversation of which Jesus is having with the apostles. It's current. And it's present. Even after he goes to the Father, greater works shall the believer do. My friend, now watch it here. Works are essential. They are more essential in the operation of the church, in the ministry to the people, than prayer and Bible study. Prayer and Bible study are a stepstone to the works. But if the sanctuary is not producing the works, then the Son is not alive in you. Christ in you. The habitation of the Father and the Son in you. If that working is not coming out of you, then prayer and Bible study is not the essential function of the church. Why? Because Jesus said, I am in the Father and he is in me. And if you can't get that, then you have to believe me because of the works that I do. Essential, my friend. Works are more essential to the life of the body of the church than your attendance. Why? Because works of signs, wonders, and miracles empower your faith. So we can study the word of God, we can pray, we can attend church, but if we see no works, we find nothing to be empowered by. That's what Paul just said in 1 Corinthians 2. He said the power of God built their faith. They built up their faith and confidence in the presence of Jesus. If works were happening in the church house today, people would walk away with a confidence of the presence of God. They would walk away reminded of the habitation of God in them. But they're not. And therefore, 
we put our faith in things, stories, and acts, and frankly, our world reflects the weakness of the people of God. But he is in you, and he will prosper his ministry at the moment when you breathe if you understand the work of the advantage of the Spirit. This is the advantage that the church lacks, and unfortunately, the church just doesn't flat out desire. The world goes to hell. Their friends and loved ones die in sickness and disease. Captivity abounds, and then we say to those in trouble, prayers and thoughts, and the world turns on a dime and says, we don't want your prayers, nor do we want your thoughts. We want some action. Now watch what they do then. They go into their groups. They're called independents, Democrats, Republicans. They're called white and they're called black. They're called Mexicans. They're called Indians. They go into their groups and they begin to say, let's create a narrative and think up and devise a way to handle this problem. We can look at things like the gun narrative of our day. We can look at things like the addiction narrative of our, of our day, the mental health narrative of our day, the crime narrative of our day. We can carry that even over into the weather narrative of our day. And they all say the same thing. We're going to find a way to handle this. We are going to find a way to handle it. We are going to be the first group to come up with the answer to this, make it stick and make it work. They argue and they spew venom against each other and what happens? What did Paul say would happen? Absolutely nothing. It's all brought to naught. Why? Because the operation of the intellect says there's no answer except the way in which we think it up to do. You know, you've heard this. If it is to be, it's up to me. So what are they saying? They're saying there is no power above us. Why? because there's no demonstration of it in the place where it's supposed to be. There can be no power above man. We're all the power that it is, they say. Why? Because there's no demonstration of his works in the sanctuary of God for the people of God. Then they say there is no God. Why would they say there is no God? Because there has been no demonstration of God or his power for man to say Let's go to him. He has the answer. So the world languishes without hope, looking for someone to save them from themselves while the church has the answer and the advantage and has chosen to lock him away. What do men do? They enlarge themselves as little gods. They evolve into verbal overlords who shout the loudest, speak the firmest, say the things that resonate with the people, draw a crowd and do exactly what uh, happened to Thaddeus, Thaddeus in Acts chapter 5, verse 33 through 39. I'm about closed for the day. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood up one of the council, a Pharisee named Galileo, a doctor of the law had in reputation among the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said to them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do is touching these men. 
For before these days rose up Thaddeus, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who were slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him, he also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men. Why? Because they operated in the demonstration and power of God. He said, let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. The narrative of men are fruitless except to draw some to their foolishness, but the end result changes nothing. Then he speaks a depth of truth that we must also hear. If the work is of God, you cannot overthrow it. If you try, you're fighting against God. From this perspective of which I sit and watch the movement of our churches, we're fighting against God. We live in the world and among the world just as Lot lived among Sodom and Gomorrah. We continue to do as the world has done. Then we will be caught up in the turmoil. If we continue to be doing the things the world is doing, we'll be caught up in the turmoil that is to come. We do not have to be. We can go into the advantage and both walk and live in the spirit. Jesus told, told us precisely how to do it in John 14. We can live in the advantage. Father, bless your people and bless your word in Jesus' name. Find him as Lord. Bring the things that have a name as plunder and lay them before him. He will exalt himself over all of them. Find him as the man in the Godhead and he will show you great things that are to come. He will be your advantage because he will be your comfort and he will never leave you and will come alongside you and be a help. In, may God bless you until we speak again.